Welcome everyone to Season 2, Episode 59 of the Premier Pod. I'm your host, Yashpika, joined by my co-host, Tyler Chan. In this episode, we're going to discuss the Tottenham-Liverpool game. If Eddie Howe is finally on the hot seat, Sergio Aguero passing Thierry Henry and some Premier League goal-scoring records and much more. Uh, first of all, biggest game of the weekend, like we always like to start it off with, Tottenham-Liverpool. Tyler and I kind of analyzed this game last week, and you know it was funny, oddly enough, the way we analyzed it, the game kind of became what it was. Um, Tottenham sat back, tried to hit Liverpool on the counterattack, and Liverpool just too strong defensively. And Firmino ended, ended up getting the winning goal to get Liverpool another three points. And overall, a disappointing day for Tottenham. Obviously, they don't have Harry Kane, and Jose Mourinho has yet to get that signature victory yet as he's yet to get a signature victory as Tottenham manager. He's clearly showing that Tottenham are a much bigger work in progress than we initially anticipated where with Pochettino it looks like it was a team that you know they literally came off a Champions League final like it looked like a team that was set to easily hit top four and easily compete again in the Champions League but under Jose Mourinho although there are significant injuries like Hugo Lloris is going to be out still for a little bit and Harry Kane is possibly out for the rest of the season. That's also why we're seeing Tottenham take a dip. But I think just with Jose Mourinho's tactics, where he needs that kind of playmaker in the middle, not only in not only in like say a Christian Eriksen, where he's like slightly higher up in, like in number ten, but also one that's like slightly deeper, where you see like a bruiser that can also pass the ball. So. Yeah, Musa Sissoko is also out with injury too. Mm-hmm. And Musa Sissoko is not really that creative of a player. So yeah. literally we just have like the same kind of player. And Musa Sissoko. I believe yeah. Ndombele is still injured. Mm-hmm. So like with this team, there's still a lot that he needs to work with. So that's why I guess Tottenham are taking a bit of a dip. But also I'm just a little confused of some of the tactics he did play out in this game where he started a youth player, uh, Tangana. Mm, and, oh, or yeah. Tangaga, Tangana. Like, yeah. I don't even know who this guy is. Like, I can't even pronounce his name. <laughs> but he played him <laughs> a right back in this game. And this was his first game starting for the team against a Liverpool side that has not dropped any points for a whole year now in the Premier League, which is a massive record, <laughs> a massive thing that I wouldn't even mm-hmm. think I'd be saying in my lifetime. But <laughs> I can die in peace now. I can rest in peace <laughs> knowing that that something I had to witness in my lifetime. But mm-hmm. like in this game, I was just like, what is what is this man playing at? He clearly wanted to park the bus and hit Liverpool on the counterattack, which they clearly did in this game where Liverpool basically dominated possession. And, you know, if Tottenham having five defenders on the team or on the starting 11, that's basically what happened. But honestly, it wasn't all Liverpool the entire game if you would just look at chances alone, because Youngman's son, he did have his chances. He had a few chances, in fact, just not completely wide open. But if he put it on target, that would have definitely made some Liverpool fans sweat. But it just looks like the pressure was a little too much for the Tottenham players to really, really hit the target, which was a little surprising to me because last time we saw Youngman's son start a striker when Harry Kane was out once again with injury, we saw Hyungman Sun basically just go off. And like it looked like every game, he was just Sonaldo. It was just a whole other kind of mm-hmm. player, like as if he was like the FIFA 19 version of himself but in <laughs> real life. So it's like little things like that where it was a little surprising, but I mean, we kind of called the scoreline last week, so not too surprised. But if you were watching yeah. the game, you were a little anxious at times as a Liverpool fan. But yeah. all in all, we came out with a 1-0 victory. The undefeated streak is still going, mm-hmm. and Tottenham <laughs> just couldn't yeah. really do any damage. Yeah, I was gonna say Christian Eriksen, a Tottenham player that certainly looks like he's out of the you know gonna be out outgoing, and he's not gonna be a Tottenham player very soon. But Jose Mourinho decided to start him in this big game. He didn't really show up in my eyes, and honestly, he's been kind of bad every time he's played for Tottenham. Sure, when he comes on a sub, sometimes, you know, just by the sheer quality he has, he can make things happen. But in terms of his overall desire and, you know, wanting to show off and really showcase what he can do for this team, he really has not been doing that this season. And it was fairly obvious going into the season he wanted to leave. And now um, from multiple reports, it seems like he has signed a contract or will be signing a contract with Inter Milan. So he'll be joining... Um, Romelu Lukaku and Alexi Sanchez, some former Premier League players that are now playing at Inter Milan. And for, 
I, I don't know. Every player that's on an expiring contract, I'm just seeing Inter Milan being leaked with them. I think they're probably one of the cheapest clubs ever. If all they're doing <laughs> is trying to get everyone on a pre-contract. Smart business move, but it's honestly funny Like how many players they're just linked to in the Premier League. It seems like Antonio Conte is just trying to get every Premier League player that he can into Italy and just try to wreak havoc there. But Christian Eriksen obviously is a very creative midfielder. And if they did lose him in this winter transfer window, it would be a huge loss for Tottenham just because he is so creative and so talented. But they did sign a up-and-coming Portuguese player, a midfielder in Jetson Fernandes, um, a box-to-box midfielder. However, he is young. He has to develop. But he's Portuguese. Jose Mourinho is Portuguese. That kind of connection is going well with him. Is he enough to really kind of take Tottenham forward, or is this um, is this a guy that Tottenham fans need to look out for in the future? I'd say not yet, because mm-hmm. this ain't FIFA, where yeah. <laughs> the player just automatically just fulfills his potential within a season or two. I think it's going to be a process for him. And under Jose Mourinho, there have been times, you know, historically, where some youth players, some notable youth players at the time kind of struggle to get game time under Jose Rashford. Mourinho. Yeah, Rashford. You got Kevin De Bruyne. You got literally Mo Romelu Salah. Lukaku. Mo Salah. It's like all these players Dude, in the like, game. That's like a starting five. <laughs> that's a that's a B starting five right there. There are players in that what, that we just listed that are in the FIFA World Eleven or for this past mm-hmm. year. So like notable players are currently some of the best players in the world that just couldn't flourish under Jose Mourinho. So I am a little apprehensive about Jetson coming to Tottenham, but he would definitely fill a void that and a hole that Tottenham do have that I would say only he kind of possesses where everyone else is very physical besides Harry Winks, I would say, but Jetson would bring a different kind of dynamic to the team. And I mm-hmm. do want to also say that for Christian Eriksen, he apparently over the summer, I have a friend who uh, visited like the nearby town from where Christian Eriksen came from in Denmark. And apparently, since he came from like a smaller part of town in Denmark, everyone in the town kind of knows him. And like there was word that he sold his house in London, hoping to leave oh. over the summer. And, you know, his insider information, yeah, inside information. So <laughs> sorry, Christian, but it's all out there now. <laughs> but basically, he wanted to leave Tottenham over the summer and he kind of expected it, but it, it wow. never came. So it would be a huge bull for Tottenham if he did leave over the, over the winter, but it looks like it could be a possibility just because of like these things where it clearly looks like Christian Eriksen was wanting to leave and also expecting to leave at the same time. Mm-hmm. So, and it's yeah. like you, you bring in a midfielder and I know the squad is already depleted with midfielders, but you don't really make this move. I feel like, unless you know that, Hey, one of our other midfielders is probably going to leave this month too. Mm-hmm. But to kind of switch gears a little bit into Liverpool, I feel like although we do mention Liverpool every week, we don't really go too in depth in terms of like what's really making them a team that's undefeated right now in the mm-hmm. Premier League. And every week, it feels like there's a different player that kind of pops up and kind of not really carries the team, but kind of shows out for why Liverpool is so world class and why Klopp has brought in players that are really good and then turn them into world-class players where when you see like a Manchester City side, you know, a lot of players there were already really good, but like they didn't progress to an even higher level to the degree that Liverpool players have. Like say when you see Sadio Mane and Mohamed Salah come to the team, you know, you saw that they had a lot of potential, but you didn't expect Mo Salah to be a top goal scorer in the Premier League two Mm -hmm. seasons in a row. And you didn't expect him to be like a player that would be, like rivaling Messi at times. And also you wouldn't expect yeah. a Virgil van Dijk to be a Ballon d'Or nominee. Mm-hmm. Like there's certain things like that. But in this game in particular, I wanted to highlight Roberto Firmino where he was the man of the matches game. And he is a whole different kind of striker where he can literally play anywhere. And, you know, we talked about Roberto Firmino at times, but with all these links also to now big name players to Liverpool, say like Kylian Mbappe, it's like, I don't know if you can really replace Firmino at this point in the team because he brings such a different dynamic to the squad where mm-hmm. it kind of got me this idea when I was watching the NFL and we would I was watching like the Baltimore Ravens. And that team, because they're so different, not many teams are able to defend that that setup, like the way the Ravens play, where they're very run heavy and like the quarterback can basically run when 
typically the quarterback just throws the ball to like a receiver. Mm -hmm. Like if he does run, he doesn't run like a running back. Yeah. But for this squad, the reason like the Ravens made such a huge run because they're just, just not many teams are set up to defend that team. And I Mm -hmm. feel like that's how it is for Liverpool too, where a lot of teams are set up to defend certain kind of strikers, certain kind of wingers. But Firmino is such a different kind of player that not many teams know how to defend him. So when they see him drop all the way back to defense and then bring the ball up and then all of a sudden find themselves scoring a header from across, it's like, where did he even come from? <laughs> so mm-hmm. you can literally be anywhere. So no one really knows who to mark him. If they're playing zonal, it's like, is he with you? Is he with this other defender? It's like, who's who, who got him? So I think that's why Firmino low-key has become one of the best strikers in the world where we have the conversation of is Robert Lewandowski the top player and top striker in the world is Luis Suarez the top striker in the world honestly right now because of Roberto Firmino such a unorthodox striker I think we have to put him up there now as one of the best strikers in the world because he just brings such a different like dynamic to the position where we've talked about certain players like Manuel Neuer revolutionizing the goalkeeper position and things like that I feel like we have to talk about Firmino kind of revolutionizing the striker position like kind of soon because he's just basically doing things that no other striker has done. And that's also why Liverpool are getting away with some of these 1-0 victories because like just you weren't expecting Firmino to, to pop up in certain places and he scored in this game because of that kind of elusiveness, which I gotta have to highlight there. Yeah, I, I think that's a very interesting take there. I think what might hold him back though from this is just me speaking objectively what might hold him back is the goal scoring output because I think a lot of people when they look at best strikers a lot of people look at the numbers and you know his numbers when it comes to putting the ball in the back of the net aren't the same with Lewandowski or Suarez or you know a Messi but that's just because the offense or the way that the other team plays is a little bit different but I I do have to agree I think Firmino you know, can make Liverpool tick the right way because he does so much off the ball. I really do like that because he's basically a false number nine. Like, I think Pep basically played Messi as a false number nine back in his day when he um, was the coach at Barcelona and that basically turned, uh, you know, Barcelona into a beast and, you know, just a, a mammoth that no one could climb. And, you know, Firmino is probably having that same effect because he does so much off the ball in terms of, you know, getting back defensively, you know, being unselfish, playing the ball into his wingers and not really asking for all the glory and all the goals. And that's kind of what's made Liverpool so good is that unselfishness. But do you think Firmino has the ability to score 30 plus goals in a season? Or do you feel like the way he plays is because he's not a pure out and out striker. So he needs to basically, like, his first option is to feed people rather than score. I think it's the latter because if he was an all-out, like, score 30 goals, like a season striker, he'd probably be getting at least close to that. But for Firmino, he's more within, like, between 10 and 20 goals most mm-hmm. seasons. So I think it's more of his style that's just so unique and so different is why he kind of point like kind of pops out to me in that mm-hmm. I want to kind of highlight him for that. And... It's just little things like that, just little nuances and how Liverpool mm-hmm. are slightly different and just kind of unpredictable are why I think Firmino is just a little underrated. And yeah. although like the stats don't really show it, he's just one of the best out there right now. Yeah, so. he's definitely a player like you can't look at his stats to really justify how good he is. Like mm-hmm. if you were if you were just to look at his numbers, it'd be like, oh, you know, so and so player has better numbers than him. But you actually have to watch the game and see what he does. Do you feel like if Liverpool actually had, I know you mentioned Mbappe, but what if they had just an out-and-out number nine, like a Luis Suarez, you know, what if Suarez comes back or what if Lewandowski comes to that side? Do you feel like they could still be as dominant as they are? Or do you feel like they would really slip up more and, you know, probably concede more goals or maybe lose a couple more games if they just had a pure number nine striker? That's a very interesting question because I feel like that would also change the way Liverpool play because Liverpool relies on the number nine position, the center forward that's directly in the middle to kind of not only dictate play to, you know, allow the wingers to get scoring opportunities, but to also 
make chances and kind of drop back at other at times to allow center mids to like make a run, like say um, Oxley Chamberlain, or even allow like the wingers, like the wingbacks, to come up, like Trent Alexander Arnold and uh, Andrew Robertson. So it's a very unique position at Liverpool, but. We've seen at times when, say, Sadio Mane plays a striker or Mohamed Salah plays a striker, you it's a very awkward thing to play in this system under Klopp where you're not really the target man. You're kind of just alternating back and forth between like a cam position and also like being ready to score the header or just get the tap in and as a number nine. So like you're kind of having multiple hats while you're playing that position. So it's not easy and not going to lie, when I see Sadio Mane and Salah play in that <laughs> position sometimes and having Origi on that wing, it, it looks really awkward for them, and it's not easy. So Firmino makes that position look pretty easy, to, or makes it look very simple, but it, it's actually really complex when you think about it, like all the things he's doing, all the things he's juggling at the same time, everything he's thinking. So it's just that a little elusiveness too. He's just a very smart player that just kind of goes under the radar, mm-hmm. and I think that's why. Yeah, no, he's definitely, it's pretty cool seeing his improvement each season. And I think he's been a big reason as to why Liverpool have been so successful and winning as many games as they have. But switching gears over to Bournemouth, the Bournemouth-Watford game, a game against, you know, probably the bottom three and relegation zone uh, teams. Watford ended up becoming winners 3-0, beating Bournemouth um, at the Vitality Stadium. Um and we kind of threw this question out last week and maybe a couple of weeks ago with Eddie Howe. Obviously, Eddie Howe, you know, he's kind of a fan favorite at Bournemouth. You know, throughout the years they've been in the Premier League, he somehow kept them up with maybe not spending as much cash as they probably should have to stay in the league. Um, and he somehow just found a way with his team spirit and overall great coaching ability to keep them up and keep them out of the relegation zone. But it seems like this season is things are going just a little bit sour and something seems a little bit off this season. Um, we saw this with Pochettino at Tottenham, whether it was just getting that same message was getting stale for the players. But uh, that uh, this Eddie House side is just really concerning me because they're sitting currently at 19th place. And honestly, I don't see them improving this record right now because a couple of their big strikers are out out with injury and they're not scoring as many goals as they would have hoped and their defense is leaking in goals. So do you, can you see potentially Eddie Howe getting sacked this weekend if they lose again, or do you think he's safe with his job? I mean, I feel like personally, I feel like he's safe because, you know, Bournemouth from what, from the picture I'm getting and from how they develop their club, they're not a very short sighted club. They tend to think more about the long term picture of things and Eddie Howe obviously has been here for a very long time and he's helped maintain and help grow this club to where it is right now. And I feel like sacking him would kind of just be putting a Band-Aid over the wound type situation and it might keep them in the league. But I feel like Eddie Howe, you've trusted him this long. I feel like you have to give him, you just have to trust that he can get your side out of this. And I feel like he can. Mm-hmm. Eddie Howe has basically been there since Bournemouth were in the fourth division. So mm-hmm. he ascended them all the way to the Premier League and kept them in the Premier League for a few seasons now. So it would be a huge risk for Bournemouth to get rid of him and bring in a, a whole new manager because it would basically change the culture. And like Bournemouth players and the fans are just so used to this Eddie Howe culture that it would be a massive change, especially in the, in the winter transfer window. So this would be... A bit of a risk, but also at the same time, it is a risk to also keep Eddie Howe because the team, it doesn't look too motivated, honestly, when I was watching this game against Watford, where mm-hmm. there was a game that was deciding who was going to be in the relegation zone after the game ends. Because if Watford wins, they get out of the relegation zone and Bournemouth goes in. And if Bournemouth wins, then Watford stays in the relegation zone and Bournemouth is a little bit safer away from the zone, but away from the drop. But Bournemouth just did not play of much intensity this game. Every time Watford were on the counterattack or just basically making any kind of forward momentum, the Bournemouth players, they just didn't really track back that fast. Like, they're just kind of like mm-hmm. sauntering about, kind of jogging back. And they'd be outnumbered at times, say, like three defenders to four attackers. And like, there's just no midfielder or anyone just tracking back to kind of 
help defend. So that was really weird to see because there's just kind of that motivation just kind of gone. And mm-hmm. some of the key players last season that carried the team or not carried the team, but like kind of brought that spark when they needed to, like Ryan Frazier and Callum Wilson, they just didn't really perform at all this game. And not only this game, but for the past few games, because Bournemouth, of course, have been in a little bit of a free fall. Yep. So I think it's like a little bit of mix where maybe they're just not as motivated and also just the same formula is just not working this season. They got to change it up. But yeah, sure if Eddie Howell knows what to do right now, he's just kind of just tinkering and seeing what he needs to change or maybe what he needs to say because something's not working. And also in this game, they're facing a Watford side that are on a bit of a run where they've been in the relegation zone the entire time this season until this past week. Mm-hmm. So after this win, they finally, for the first time, are not in the relegation zone. Yep. And I think we have to give some props to Troy Deeney for coming back from injury and being the captain. And Nigel of Pearson. Mm-hmm. And Nigel Pearson as well. The guy, I, I will have to credit to him too because I roasted him. I wasn't, <laughs> I wasn't too confident in him given that he based, he barely hey, got I was like, out. I was like, you know, he's done the great escape. Why can't he do it again? That's true. And he's, he's proven us wrong. But there is still... A, a very few long decent, time to go. Yeah, a significant amount of games still left. So not too soon, but I mean, it's looking very promising for Watford. And it was a very dominant win, 3-0. Yep. And it was a very shaky Bournemouth side, especially the Bournemouth goalkeeper, Mark Travers. He basically shot himself in the foot by giving a bad pass to Nathan Ake. And then mm. Watford just pounced on that. So it was like little yep. things like that where Bournemouth are just not really... I would say switched on for the entire game while Watford were just pouncing in every opportunity they could. Mm-hmm. And that's why we've been seeing Watford kind of change the momentum of their own season and kind of bringing it into their own hands to stay in the Premier League for another season. Miraculously, after <laughs> was this the third manager now this season? Yeah, third manager this season. And, you know, I guess Bournemouth fans can kind of look at Watford as an example. You know, things were going sour with the managers they had, and then they made the switch. And, you know, Watford obviously are a much different culture. They're a culture of, you know, chopping and changing as soon as things go sour. But they obviously changed it, and they're on this huge run. And, you know, right now it looks like they're getting the best out of some of their more key players. And that's all that Bournemouth fans are probably asking for. You know, they just want their players to step up. And it didn't help that going into the season, Ryan Frazier was, they were having a contract dispute and Ryan Frazier has yet to sign a new long-term deal with Bournemouth. So there has been some uncertainty uncertainty regarding his role in the team and whether he has a future at this club. And that certainly doesn't help when your team is sliding to have questions like that surrounding the team. Josh King obviously has been injured in and out of the squad and Nathan Atke has actually gotten down injured at certain points in the season. So you know, Bournemouth just really needs to dig in. Eddie Howe's got to find a way to get these players dug in, stuck in, and, you know, getting on with the mission of staying in the Premier League. Because right now, they need to go back to the basics. I know Eddie Howe's a guy that likes to play very attacking, offensive, offensively, you know, very attacking, beautiful football. But I think he needs to talk to his team and just really get stuck in onto the basics of defending well and scoring and pouncing when they have a chance. Because I don't think they're in a position right now or they don't have the confidence right now to kind of play their way out the back or really play like the silky, silky football that we kind of seen at Bournemouth of the past couple of seasons. So that's my overall take on Bournemouth. Watford are pretty are doing pretty good for themselves right now out of the relegation zone with 22 points. Uh, obviously, there's still a lot to go in the season. But right now, Nigel Pearson has got Watford rolling now. Um, another team that was rolling past Aston Villa is Manchester City, beating them <laughs> 6-1. I think this is probably the second or third time Man City have put up six or close to six goals in a se- in in a game this season. It's absolutely ridiculous how many goals they score in a game. Their offense is just magnificent when they can have everyone on fire and everyone performing in a high level. And a big thing that happened in this game, Aguero's hat trick, obviously Aguero scores so many goals, but he passed Henri, Thierry Henri, for the most amount of goals from a foreign player in the Premier League. A huge accomplishment for Sergio Aguero, a guy that's basically been the top striker in the Premier League for so long before Harry Kane, um, you know, started inserting his dominance at Tottenham. But I have this question. I feel like Sergio Aguero, this is my opinion, I feel like he's kind of underrated when it comes, when people talk about European strikers. Uh, it seems like, Levin, uh, not Lewandowski, it seems like Aguero's name kind of goes under the radar 
whenever we mention top European strikers. I feel like he doesn't get enough love. And I feel like Premier League fans, even myself, I would have to put myself in this. Sometimes um, we don't really appreciate what Aguero can do because we're so easy to write write him off as, you know, the old aging player that, you know, Gabriel Jesus is going to take over. But each time Gabriel Jesus, I mean, sure, he's shown flashes, but he's not been as consistent as Aguero has. And Aguero still is putting up some insane numbers and being a top striker. So me personally, I think Aguero is a little underrated in the Premier League and probably in Europe in general. And that, you know, I can say that for myself because I have underrated him. Mm-hmm. I think it goes into kind of how Firmino is, where Aguero is has been slowly creeping up the slowly, but also kind of quite noticeably at times, like creeping up the the ranks of the scoring charts because Aguero would always be that player who'd get like second most goals in the season and be very consistent, where he'd be like second most, third most, fourth most, second, 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 and then he would never really win Golden Boot. Because of there's always that key injury during the season that keeps him out for a few games, yeah. and then he just misses out and just does not, you know, be able to get like the say the 25 goals or the 23 goals that another player in that season went off and got. So I think that's why Aguero hasn't been getting as much praise as say a top goal scorer would, like say say a Thierry Henry. Or say like an Alan Shearer, because like literally Aguero is now the top goal scorer in the Premier League as a foreign player, which is a huge accolade that kind of didn't really pop out until he he did it against Aston Villa. And it's like, oh yeah, he did that. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's like this is huge. This is a huge deal. But oh yeah, and I think I, it's the reason why it's just because it's just because he hasn't really popped up as the best striker in most seasons while in the Premier mm-hmm. League, and he's been there for a while. So it's yeah. just kind of, he's just, we know he's good. It's just, he's not the best all the time. And that's, I think, why he just. Yeah, I mean, he's he's won so much at Manchester City. I think Pep's got an interesting situation. Obviously, going into this season, a lot of people felt like this was Gabriel Jesus' year to be the number one guy at City. He hasn't really taken, I feel like, the necessary steps to kind of overthrow Aguero. But Pep has got an interesting situation here because obviously it seems like the Premier League title is out of reach basically because the gap Liverpool have but in the Champions League that's probably where City are going to be eyeing their most importance in terms of a trophy that they could potentially win and the bigger question they have is how do you kind of conserve Aguero and still keep him fit and keep him going in terms of scoring the amount of goals he can but making sure you give him a proper amount of rest so that he's prepped and ready to go for those big Champions League nights that's going to be the biggest um thing I'm going to be watching out for Manchester City and Pep Guardiola because personally I would not be surprised if we don't see Aguero starting every single week in the Premier League just because I think the priorities in terms of what City are focusing now in the season are going to be shifting so I wouldn't be surprised if we see Aguero start more in the Champions League and maybe Jesus gets more of the Premier League starts just so he can change up the squad but another player I want to uh, I want to point out I know that obviously there's KDB but Riyad Mahrez I have to point out Riyad Mahrez because I feel like recently he's kind of inserted himself in the city starting lineup and he keeps on scoring goals. And we, I don't know, I have a weird feeling that we're probably going to start seeing some of the Riyad Mahrez that we saw with Leicester when they won the title. And the reason that he was such a coveted player by so many European clubs, especially Premier League clubs that season. Um, How do you feel Riyad Mahrez is performing this season? Do you feel like he can cement his spot into a city lineup right now? The starting mm-hmm. 11. Especially with the stats he's producing, where this is not really a questionable situation where you can see Riyad Mars is getting nine assists and seven goals already this season, where that's some insane numbers. And we're barely halfway or like a little bit past halfway in the season. And he's already mm-hmm. already putting those kind of stats where it'd be impressive if a player got those stats at the end of the season. So for Mars to do that and fill that kind of void that was left by Leroy Sané from his significant injury and also just Bernardo Silva as well, just kind of rotating with him and, you know, Riyad Mahrez kind of winning out recently and producing these numbers. I think this is what Riyad Mahrez wanted where he's like, I can do it at Leicester. I can definitely do it at City too. It's just he needed the opportunity and here it came mm-hmm. and he's kind of making the most out of it. And I think right. that's why. I, I have a question. Mm-hmm. So let's say if Sané 
Bernardo Silva, Sterling, and Mars all fit. Who are you putting at the two winger positions at left wing and right wing? Ooh, that is a very interesting question. Because it's so hard to leave one of them out. It'd be kind of criminal. (laughs) It is criminal. But in terms of form right now, and assuming that the injured players, like say Sané, is just at baseline, where he's not in good form, not in bad form, definitely got to put Mares now. And then for left wing... It's like Sterling oh, really... Yeah. It, to me, it's hard because Sterling hasn't done anything to keep him out of the side. And Bernardo mm-hmm. Silva under at the right wing, I mean, he's just so... He's sort of like Firmino. You know, he does everything that a winger doesn't normally do. He tracks back like crazy and he you know, does everything off the ball that you would hope a player would do. Honestly, for me, I feel like Bernardo Silva, you can sneak him into center mid because Mm -hmm. you've seen him play there a few times, not only this season, but last season too. And surprisingly enough, he'd be able to not only do a lot in terms of being a box-to-box kind of midfielder at times, like do the work that Pep makes him do, but also find the goals from playing so deep. He would just make that last minute run just straight from midfield and then just score a goal. Like he was mm-hmm. that player that can, that has the ability to make a chance happen out of nothing and to do it while as a center mid, I feel like he can get away with playing there and lose out the winger position to someone else. So for now, I'd still say it'd be Mares and then say Sterling because Sterling, mm-hmm. although he has improved from his inconsistencies while at Liverpool, where he can't seem to score the easy chances. He's improved a lot. I would say yeah. something. He's, he's scoring like he's scoring. He's putting up striker numbers right now. Mm-hmm. The amount of goals he keeps scoring each season. It's ridiculous. So he's just in a, a little bit of a poor run of form, but I think he can come back from that. And mm-hmm. like he brings such a huge dynamic to the game in terms of his pace. So it's very hard for defenders to really track him because he's just so fast. So I think I would keep Mares and then Sterling as the wingers. And then for now, I'd put if it was a Premier League, I agree with you keeping Jesus in there because also not having Aguero play as many games would allow him to rest and avoid injuries. Mm -hmm. And I think with his history and also his aging, I think that'd be the smartest. His hamstrings, man. Always seem to go out on it. Dude, he's literally the same height as me. He's a little taller, 5'8", but he weighs 170 pounds. Like For me, thinking about that, I'm like, man, (laughs) how do you weigh 170? That's wild. Yeah, he's a a built guy. He's a buff buff man, low-key. He's ve- he's got a very good low center of gravity. He can very he he's so good at doing those little quick turns and moving his body around and shifting everywhere. But I wanted to quickly ask you this: Is Kevin De Bruyne the the best midfielder in Europe right now? I say yes because yeah. I agree. I and agree. Alexander Arnold are able to create chances out of nothing or create yeah. chances that you can't even fathom. It's like how did yeah. he curve the ball? almost 90 yeah. degrees. <laughs> it was like, how do you even see that other player on the other side of the field and pinpoint mm. pass it to him? And he strikes the ball so violently, like mm. with so much venom, I would say. I mean, but, when he strikes the ball, you know it's coming at you. But it's so controlled too, where it's like a yeah. video game at times, where it's like, how did he do that and know it was, it was the ball was going to do that? Like he, he, would, he knows where to put the ball and how to do it. Like he's like, I yeah. want the ball to go here and know how to do it. And it's like, he can do it with both feet. It's it's like what? Yeah, he's ridiculous. <laughs> he's ridiculous. It's it's crazy how good he is, and I'm glad we get to watch him in the Premier League. But he's mm-hmm. he's amazing. He's sort of like, you know, how we said Hazard was probably one of the best, the best or second best, or you know, in the top five Premier League players of last season. Mm-hmm. You know, Kevin De Bruyne, I would say, is in that same same ilk. I mean, he's just amazing. Uh, but moving on to the Crystal Palace Arsenal game, a battle of some London clubs right there. Ended up finishing 1-1. Biggest news in that game, I would say, is uh, Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang getting a red card. And they tried to appeal it, but got denied. And Aubameyang will have to serve a three-game suspension for the red card. Pretty deservedly so. It was a pretty nasty challenge he had. Um, but Arsenal losing a key striker, a guy that was in form and was doing really well in terms of tracking back and being that sort of engine guy that that was really in st- starting Mikel Arteta's attacks and everything. So now Arsenal have a big problem with trying to replace Aubameyang. I know they have um, I know they have Lacazette, but Lacazette has shown that he's pretty inconsistent and can't really hold the mantle of scoring the amount of goals Aubameyang does. Mm-hmm. I think it will be time for Gabriel Martinelli to really come up through the ranks and 
kind of show that he could be that player that can fill the void for at least the three games that Aubameyang is out for. Mm-hmm. And it is a bit of a shame for Arsenal because Aubameyang was not only their engine to start attacks and now under Mikel Arteta dominate the left wing, he covered left wing back when C.I. Klasniak makes that bombing <laughs> run. <laughs> or he gets oh, injured. My. Or gets <laughs> injured on the side. I was like, well, I got to do two jobs now. But <laughs> losing the captain as well in Aubameyang, this is going to be pretty significant because mm-hmm. he... I literally got the one goal of this game as well. Like he literally, he literally did everything. <laughs> he got mm-hmm. the goal. He got the red card. He was the captain. So losing <laughs> him, this is going to be a, a big blow for Arsenal to fill. And with them getting this momentum under Mikel Arteta, losing this key player, I'm a little worried for them in terms of the momentum because although the system's looking good, losing a player that can just run past anyone, like literally the fastest player on earth. This is going to be a different kind of problem that Mikel Arteta is going to have to deal with and that he's going to have to either have someone fill that void, which is going to be unlikely because no one's going to be as fast as him, or he's going to have to change the tactics ever so slightly to accommodate a new player. I think it will be mm-hmm. Gabriel Martinelli because you know every time he's been put into the starting 11, he's shown something special. Although it's not resulted in victories or a goal every time, it's he's shown some promising things that the other players have not been showing mm-hmm. compared to him. So I think he'd be the one who would fill that gap. But yeah, I think Lacazette, he definitely needs help. And Pepe, he's starting to get better in the Premier League and get more used to the league. But I think Arsenal are going to start struggling now without mm-hmm. Aubameyang. Yeah, it's unfortunate the things were looking good, and then of course Arsenal going to Arsenal, and something bad is going to happen. <laughs> uh, you can you can roast them when you can, but mm-hmm. go, moving on to Leicester City on the Southampton game, big news here is because Danny Ings scored again, and Le- Southampton Dang. ended up winning two one. But um, I do remember when we had Eric Krakauer on the show, he mentioned that he expected Leicester City to kind of cool off and lose that momentum that they were having at the time we were interviewing him. Um, he Leicester City were on a, like a five game win streak or something like that, uh, and we we thought okay you know we could see it happening. But at the time, I personally felt like, and I don't know, I don't want to speak for Tyler, but we both kind of felt like that Leicester City had a chance to do something special again. You know whether that would be catching Liverpool, probably not. But being in that second place finish, we could see them doing it. But they've lost again, and they lost to a Southampton side that they actually beat 9-0 earlier in the season. Raf Hasenhudo's side coming back and beating them at the KP, so that's a huge, huge get for them, but are is Leicester City in danger of losing out of the top three because their defense has shown that it's, you know, it can concede goals. Soin Chu's form, I would say, has dipped a little bit. It always seems like when they concede a goal, it's because he's trying to do something crazy and he's trying to recover from his mistakes by using his pace to get back. Um, I personally feel like Leicester have cooled off a bit um, and it's a little bit worrying right now whether they can... I feel like at right now, I don't feel like they're a huge guarantee just to finish top four. Like if you were to ask me in October, I would have said, yeah, of course, Leicester would finish top four easily. Now I think they kind of have to ride the boat, show me some resilience if they want to finish in the top four right now. I think for Leicester, they still have a good chance of keeping top four because just of the inconsistencies of the other teams challenging for top four in combination with recently after the holiday fixtures, Leicester changed the starting 11 and you know, key player Wilfred Ndidi got injured. So he is not in the starting 11 and he was a key player in making sure that attacks from the other side, the other teams would basically stop through him where he made Soyuncu, he, he it's kind of like a backup plan for Soyuncu where he gave Soyuncu a back, like, more coverage and it made him look a little better but without him he's so is more exposed and that's why we're seeing him kind of have a dip in form and also for mm-hmm. johnny evans as well so we're seeing a team that was somewhat consistently getting clean sheets now starting to concede goals against teams like say a southampton side although we do have to say southampton does have a danny ings who's climbing up the ranks of being top goal scorer in the premier league now basically scoring every game since mm-hmm. <laughs> basically they were uh, since that nine nil loss and it kind of shows that Southampton were right into keeping faith in Ralph, Hasen- Ralph Hasenhudel and there was never really any doubt that he would leave 
because you would always hear about the other managers like Marco Silva. He was on the hot seat and then he got out. And you see, a, you know, Flores out at for Unai Emery. Mm-hmm. Unai Emery. So it's like you hear about all those managers, but then despite even losing 9 0, it's like, all right, Hudson Hoodle, he's still safe. <laughs> and then, like they're right to keep him because now Southampton are not comfortably out, are not comfortably out of the relegation zone, but they're out with some room to spare now. Yeah. So I think it's just like the trust that he has in himself and the players. And like they've really responded to that well. And they just kind of kept that momentum going where after they got one victory they got a second one right after that in the holiday fixtures and then they kind of kept that momentum going it's like all right we can we can get out of this safe mm-hmm. and sound and then they're managing to do that and i guess on Leicester's side who did not also play yuri tillemans they changed that key rock duo in the middle where it was wilfred and Didi and T- tillemans for most of the games and then finally brendan rogers is resting tillemans and of course Didi's out so he's playing hamza chowdhury and Dennis Pratt in the midfield instead. And I think that's the reason why Leicester aren't getting as, you know, many wins and mm-hmm. positive results now because, like, that little change is what made just a big difference. And it's a bit odd because, you know, Leicester are not competing in any year. They're not in the Europa League. They're not in the Champions League. They obviously have the FA Cup, and I believe they're still in the Carabao Cup. No, they got eliminated, I believe. But... You know, they still have an opportunity to play all these players. I don't feel like giving them... It's good to give players rest, but I don't feel like they're in a dire need to give players rest if you were to look at a Wolves or a Manchester United side that are in the Europa League or um, that are kind of playing games at a frenzy. I feel like Leicester have a decent amount of break from each game, but their form is obviously dipping a little bit. And Brendan Rodgers, it's a real test to him. Can he bring um, Leicester and just get them steady again? But... That's one one thing to look out for. And moving on to the Manchester United-Norwich game. United beating Norwich 4-0, which I was <laughs> pleasantly surprised after I called a, them losing, surprisingly, a 1-0 defeat. Maybe I should just bet against them every week and see what happens. Yeah, you're going to jinx them. <laughs> but in a but, good way. Yeah, in a good way. Uh, but this game, you know, it, it was definitely, you could tell that United kind of like, wanted to show off a little bit, but it was definitely helped by the fact that Norwich were playing like a team that were sitting at the bottom of the Premier League, just very low in confidence. (laughs) Buendia had a couple shots on goal, but you could tell that the whole team just kind of felt a little stiff. I know um, Cantwell had a really good chance in the first half, but David De Gea made probably um, the best save of of the day, you know, the best save of that game. And that was probably the only thing he had to do for that whole game. Um, Cause Norwich, for pretty much the majority of the game looked like they were really low in confidence. And that's due to the fact they're sitting at the bottom of the Premier League. And United looked good. I mean, Mata finally looked good again. Had two good assists. Rashford was scoring. I have to point out Marcus Rashford, man. Um, I expected him to be the main man. But man, he's really come up big with the goals he scored. I think he's now sitting at 14 Premier League goals right now. And he's tied for second with Danny Ings, I believe. And... For you know his first season being the number one like out and out striker or the guy like the for starting his first season starting consistently for Manchester United, it's a really great thing to see him Martial and Greenwood. I think it really has shown that you know this is a bright spot and a bright thing to look for if you're a Manchester United fan. I know this season has been tough. It's been tough for me to watch at times, but seeing those <laughs> three guys perform at a very high level because. I don't know if you if you were able to watch the highlight or watch the game, but Mason Greenwood's finish, I mean, come on, that was really nice to see. I mean, mm-hmm. It was clean. Yeah, it, it seems like he's very confident with the ball. I mean, he just kind of, whenever he picks up the ball within that 20, 25-yard uh, range, it just seems like he knows what to do and how to place the ball correctly. He can shoot from his left, shoot from his right. Uh, very complete striker, has so much room to grow, and then, you know, that, that that front three, I'm just very happy for. But the bigger news, I would say, for United is they have, they're pretty close, I would say, to signing uh, Bruno Fernandes, who is the sporting midfielder, um, sort of the attacking midfielder, uh, something that United have been craving for this whole season. He had, there's been so many reports that they've been meeting, that United have had meaningful discussions with sporting. And apparently today or yesterday, they've actually agreed on a wage that um, are agreed on terms in terms of his deal. And they're just now settling out his price uh, for the player. 
but that would be a huge coup for United to get in the month of January just because he is a very creative midfielder. Um, he's not an out-and-out number 10, but he's like a Paul Pogba-type role where he can play in the central of the you know center mid and create and defend, like a good box-to-box midfielder. And it will add just a lot of quality, and, and it will really help you know feeding the players and scoring and creating a lot more chances. So if he comes in, I honestly feel like it could be a sign that you know Paul Pogba will be on his way out in the summer, and this is United's way of kind of replacing or finding ways to replace such a big presence and a big time player in Paul Pogba. Because if you talk to most United fans, they would be upset that Paul Pogba would leave, but they just want someone a quality replacement in return. And a lot of people are looking at Bruno Fernandez as being kind of that quality replacement that could, you know. Obviously, he can't fill in the shoes of Paul Pogba because he's a world-class, when he's on his day, world-class midfielder. But he can at least cover a little bit of that gap that United are missing when Paul Pogba is out of the Manchester United midfield. Mm-hmm. And for me, I'd be really low-key jealous if Bruno Fernandez went to Manchester United because he's one of those players that he has the potential to be one of the best, in my opinion, because some of the games I've watched him play, not only for... In terms of like highlights for sporting in the Portuguese league, but also for the Portuguese national team, he's able to basically be like that kind of Roberto Firmino kind of player where he can be the playmaker, but also score a goal if he needs to, where he can rip a long shot, which is probably one of the key attributes of him where there's not that many players notably where, you know, back in the days, you can think like back to Gattuso, Soy Montari, uh, Stankovic, Gerard players that would take shots on from 35 yards out and actually hit it on target. I'm not talking about David Luiz taking a <laughs> 35 yard free kick and then hitting Rosette. I'm thinking like players that actually would have like the Lampard. possibility. Yeah, like Lampard too. Like you would literally think these kind of players. And I feel like Bruno Fernandes is one of those players that has that kind of spark in him. Kind of like Coutinho where he can actually make a chance out of nothing from far range. So mm-hmm. that'd bring a whole different... Kind of and it's something United. United have been needing mm-hmm. so much this season because Paul Pogba has been out injured basically the whole season. And, you know, Fred, you know, Fred, Matic and McTominay, they are good players. You know, McTominay has room to grow and Fred and Matic are kind of, you know, where they're at. But they're good players. They can break up play. But when it comes to finding that quality pass, that's something that no one really in the United squad can do consistently. Mata can have his days where he looks good, but he really has shown that, you know, he's getting older and he can't consistently do it. Pereira really has shown that he can't really be that number 10. Jesse Lingard obviously is not that guy. (laughs) Dan James um, is a guy that, you know, he put, he really exploded in the first three games of the season when he played for Manchester United. But obviously this is his second full season playing in top division football and it's a lot to throw at him to be a consistent Manchester United player. And we and it's showing because he kind of looks really tired. And it looks like he's a little bit low in confidence. And I can't really blame him. And no United fans are really going after him because he was only like a 15 million or 15 million pound signing. Um, very cheap, very bargain deal player. And he was a player that was meaning to grow and learn a lot, not be an instant impact player. And I think Fernandez, unlike James, will be that instant impact uh, lightning and a spark player that United really need in the midfield. Mm-hmm. And I agree with Yes, where when I heard him link to Liverpool a couple of seasons ago, I was thinking, I was like, all right, this is going to be that player that would kind of feel like that Coutinho void too, because he is very creative and he can score the goal. So I think that's kind of that kind of player he would bring, or that's the kind of player that United would be getting, where it'd be kind of like Coutinho for Liverpool, where he can make chances, he can score goals. I'm not too confident about him being defensive. <laughs> I think of him more of like a Coutinho and James Madison-esque kind of player in terms of the midfield. And mm-hmm. also, he won't even need to do that much defensive work because he has Fred and right now, Nemanja Matic behind him if he were to get slotted into this starting 11. So I think they would take care of that for him and he'd be fine to just be yeah. in the attack for most of the game. And I think and, that'd be a key, like, key thing to keep United at least in the top half. And yeah, challenge for top six. Yeah, and I think you know if a guy if they're bringing in a, such a creative player like that, it really has me thinking that will Paul Pogba probably leave? And it's it seems like the likely answer is yes, just because how do you fit? You know, if they want to keep Paul Pogba, and Paul Pogba wants to say, how do you fit if Bruno Paul Pogba and still have you know 
you know, a balance in the midfield where you're just not too attacking. But you never know with United when it comes to transfers because they take so long to do them. I feel like it just goes on for ages. Um, it's just so hard what you can believe. Uh, but I'm really hoping that this deal can come through and actually come to fertility uh, because he would be an excellent signing for Manchester United. But it's never official until you see the club announcement and you see him in an actual Manchester United jersey. So yeah. until yeah. that happens, yeah, <laughs> yeah until that happens, um, I'm I'm hoping that this happens. And but until that, I see that official club announcement. It's still up in the air for me. But that's the news for Manchester United. And then. Kind of going down the list of Premier League games now is just Wolves Newcastle finishing one one, but Miguel Almiron, our guy from Atlanta United, repping the ATL, scores again. Um, it's nice to see him be in good form and actually being happy playing again because mm-hmm. you know he was searching for that goal for so long, and now that he's got it, he's really showing off the quality and showing off why he was the best MLS player when he was in the MLS for two seasons. And then Everton and Brighton finishing one nil, Everton getting the getting the win with uh, Richarlison and then Chelsea finishing off Burnley 3-0. Um, that's sort of the this week at the Premier League. But going into the next week or this coming weekend, we've got some really great fixtures. Um, probably the biggest one I know you guys know about, but we're going to, before we get into that, we have Arsenal versus Sheffield. A huge match. I think because of the Aubameyang red card, it will probably end up being another 1-1 game for Arsenal. Um, just because Chris Wilder and the Sheffield United side are just so strong defensively and a very hard team to break th- break down. And they just play really well as a team. And Arsenal losing Aubameyang is going to shake them up a bit. And I feel like they could probably just squeeze out a 1-1 draw. I agree with you, Ash. I think this is going to be 1-1 written all over it because of what everything Yash mentioned, but also at the same time, losing Aubameyang, losing that key attacking force and just... Walk or not watch <laughs> Sheffield <laughs> adding all these ways to get results away from home because they're one of the best teams away. I think it kind of plays to an advantage, which is kind of ironic. So I think it will be a one-one, despite Arsenal being a, a little bit of the rise. But I mean, I think losing a bombing is going to push them back a little bit. So one-one. Mm-hmm. And then we have Norwich Bournemouth, a huge match in the bottom half of the literally the relegation for relegation zone with these two teams. Norwich obviously need the points. They really need them because they're basically in the bottom of the barrel. And Bournemouth are on a huge slide right now. At Carroll Road, this game's a... I feel like Norwich is going to be bouncing a little bit. And because of that, I don't want to go against Eddie Howe, but I actually think Norwich could maybe get a 3-2 victory against Bournemouth just because I feel like this is such a big game for both clubs, and I feel like the home team will probably get the little edge um, in terms of the home field advantage. This is a very tricky one, because this is two teams that, going into this weekend, were looking very unmotivated in their <laughs> respective games. So, yes, brings up a very good point where the home field advantage will play a part into maybe motivating the squad and also potentially jump-starting that team into going on a bit of a run and getting them out of the relegation zone. As you saw at Watford, all you need, and also with Southampton as well already this season, where if you just get a little bit of a run going, you can jump out of the relegation zone within three, four games. But you just have to keep that run going. And we saw that with Everton as well. But this game will determine who will get that jump, who will possibly get that momentum going. And... Despite being at home for Norwich, I'm going to have to say Bournemouth have the Ooh. better squad. and They, they have, do have a better squad. I would say that. They do mm-hmm. have the better squad. And also, they do have a coach that has kept them in the Premier League consistently for multiple seasons. So maybe he has something in his back pocket that he can say or some kind of way to set up the team to bring back those old results, those results that would consistently get them a lot of goals because that's one of the key things for Bournemouth is that in previous seasons, they'd be scoring a decent amount of goals from a side like this, which is kind of surprising. So I think Eddie Howe will find a way to do that against a very vulnerable last place Norwich side. And I think Eddie Howe will get a 2-1 win. Ooh, I, I think I do agree with you that there will be no clean sheet because both defenses have been pretty yeah, poor this season. They're trash. <laughs> yeah. But I, I'm going to roll with the home field advantage. I just think... Uh, Norwich at home, they got battered by Manchester United. So did Bournemouth, they got battered by Watford. So mm-hmm. both teams probably don't want to get embarrassed again 
um, in the in the Premier League. So I feel like there's just going to be a bounce by both sides. But I'm going to give that edge to Norwich, and they're going to get a three-two victory. You got a two-one Bournemouth victory, so we'll see how that one goes. And then it's now, a now. <laughs> it's a nil-nil, nil-nil. But obviously, now the biggest game of the weekend it's Tyler versus Josh. Uh, Liverpool versus Manchester United. It's the game we always look forward to. Oddly enough, Liverpool have been unbeaten in the Premier League, and the only team they dropped points to was at Old Trafford against Manchester United when the game finished 1-1. And it was such a great game to watch. Both teams were really going after it. Uh, this game is going to be interesting because it's not Jose Mourinho's Manchester United where they would just sit back, hit on, try to hit like one or two chances on the counterattack and just hope that Liverpool don't score. Ole Gunnar Solskjaer is to probably still going to play on the counterattack like he's done against every big side. But, you know, he has shown that he has a little bit more courage in terms of going forward. But it's going to be a very interesting game to watch. Very fun. Rashford, it, Marcus Rashford could be a huge doubt in this game because he did take a knock in the FA Cup replay against Wolves. I don't know if he will be fit. And honestly, if he's in a range where he's like 50-50, whether he'll be, if he's fit, if he's like full, full go, I would honestly keep him benched because I wouldn't want to risk Rashford for a one-off game against Liverpool to get highly injured again or get really <laughs> injured later to get have himself be injured so much that he'll probably be out for until April, like a Harry Kane-esque injury. Um, I think it's not really worth it. I feel like United have, you know, they still have the Europa League, they still have the FA Cup and, you know, a long shot at the Carabao Cup, but they still have some other things that they could go and go for. So if he's a doubt, I wouldn't play him. I would probably think they'd play Mason Greenwood. So because of that, it's going to be tough, but I think I'm just going to go with the 1-1 draw again. I think United could escape oh. Anfield with a 1-1 draw. I got to have that United hope. <laughs> oh my. Well, I'm on the whole other side of the train where <laughs> this game for United I don't think it's a one-off game. I think this is a huge game for United because this could be a statement for United to challenge and get into top, or stay in top six. So although Rashford is injured right now, has a knock, I think he's going to fight it out and play this game because these are the big games that you want to play. And this is basically the UGA versus Bama matchup. Mm-hmm. This is the big matchup of the season. And at Anfield, it could look really ugly for United really quickly <laughs> if things go <laughs> wrong. So I think Ole Gunnar Solskjaer will know that in mind. He He's not going to want to go into this game thinking he's going to lose and by how much. I think he's going to go in here knowing that he came off a result in Old Trafford where he was the only manager to make Liverpool drop points this whole season so far. And he's going to have that confidence. And I think he's going to go in guns blazing and put that confidence into his squad to think that they can get something out of this Anfield Anfield side. So for me, I still think United is just going to go all out. But with this Liverpool side and everyone basically healthy still, except Milner, but he can be replaced with, say, like a Oxlade-Chamberlain. And like there's just so much depth in the squad that I feel very confident that he can get replaced and it would be, it'll just be fine. And everyone else is still healthy, so at Anfield as well, and knowing that they did drop the only points this whole season to Manchester United, they were going to be a little cautious, but I think also just seeing Manchester United lose to Manchester City 3-1 recently, <laughs> I think that also is a telltale sign to what is going to potentially happen at Anfield, and I think Liverpool are going to score three goals, and United are not going to score any. No. <laughs> 3-0. Oh man, big, big, bold claim right there by Tyler. But mm-hmm. I usually don't say the- stuff like that. But I, <laughs> like Rashford, I can see him getting a breakaway, but I think he'll be very isolated. There's going to be a lot of chances for United, but it's just going to be very, it, it won't be that many team opportunities. It's just going to be like one offs, like, all right, can Martial do it by himself? Can Rashford do it by himself? And I think Van Dyke, Trent, everyone else is just too informed to let that happen. So I think it's going to be a 3 0. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's going to be crazy. And that's why I love sports because it's these matchups where you have the two rival teams. One team is just bang on in form. And then you have the other team that's just kind of riding the pine a little bit, riding the wave. But it, it's just 
in sports, you know, anything can really happen. You just don't know what will happen on the day of the game. Um, I'm going for 1-1. Tyler's going for 3-0. It's going to be a really fun atmosphere, fun game to watch. I can't wait. Um, mm-hmm. it, it's, it's just going to be fun. It's always a game me and Tyler always look forward to because it's sort of like bragging rights. And it's always yeah. fun to watch <laughs> Manchester United-Liverpool play. Um, and historically, so it, it's always been very dry. Until, yeah. <laughs> until Jersey Reunion is gone. <laughs> and now it's a little bit more entertaining. Or but. Louis Van Hall. Louis Van Hall leaving mm-hmm. too. And there's always some kind of controversy during these games. Like even the last game at Old Trafford, that, that Origi foul, oh, yeah. where foul the midway or halfway line, and then United score from that. We're I'm not I'm not gonna be anticipating something controversial to happen, but I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I remember that game in Anfield where Juan Mata scored two goals, and then Steven Gerrard gets sent off like 15 seconds within coming. That on. was a rough game. Oh my god, <laughs> that was a that was a very interesting game. I remember that one game where literally United didn't do anything the entire game, and Marwan Fellaini hits like a header on the crossbar, and then Rooney scores, and they ended up winning one 0 And it's just it's just games like that that just it, anything can really happen in this rivalry. It's, Anfield is going to be you you know packed with noise it's going to be thumping the atmosphere is going to be crazy to watch on tv so it's going to be super fun i can't wait for it but uh other than that that kind of does it for us for episode 59 thank you guys so much for listening please tell us what you like what you don't like uh leave us a leave us a comment please like light rate and subscribe leave us a comment um we really appreciate the feedback you guys give and yeah Um, That kind of does it for us in this episode. Thank you guys so much for listening. Peace. Peace.